Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Six is upon us. We have uh, a few fantastic football games to talk about today. Uh, unlike week five, where we were not sure going into it uh, what what kind of football we were about to see, I'm fairly confident going into week six that we're about to see some really, really, really good football. We have some marquee matchups that I've been looking forward to since the summer. Uh, Seahawks-Bengals, um, I would say Cowboys-Chargers still qualifies, even though the Cowboys just got the crap beaten out of them last week this is still an exciting game to me uh and of course you have the first rematch i think of the year uh with colts jaguars which should be exciting in its own right so a lot of good football to talk about today but before we do that ej my wonderful co-host how you feeling i'm good games within games this weekend lots of really cool small matchups whether it's between players or opposing coordinators like you said, matchups that we circled in the summer once everybody settled in with who was coaching and said, oh, that's that's going to be fun. And there's a bunch of them we're going to talk about, at least three or four of them, just in our slate of five games. There's even more in the games that we're not talking about. So right in the middle of the thick of it, uh, you know, one of the most wonderful times of the year. Yeah, it's mid-October in the NFL. Literally my favorite time of the year. Uh, now, first game on the dock, and I'm just going to get right into it, not waste any time. Ravens, Titans, which even when we were talking about this game over summer, we were looking at it and saying, okay, this is, there's no way that a Mike Vrabel team against a Baltimore Ravens team is not just a absolute fucking slobber knocker, right? Like these two teams are basically just gonna be mud wrestling by the middle of the second quarter. Uh, my opinion <laughs> has not changed at all. Uh, yes, the Ravens are in theory, more capable as a as a uh, passing team this year if they could hold on to the damn ball. But they're still very, very good at running the ball. The Titans, obviously, with King Henry, uh, would like to run the ball uh, and not put the game on Ryan Tannehill. They both have really good defensive lines. They both play the run really well. This just feels like a physical, low-scoring slog of a game that if you like defensive football, this this is probably the game for you. Really good test of Todd Monken's new-look offense for the Ravens, and we'll talk about that a little bit. We'll start with Ravens O versus Titans D. Ravens' passing game is finally rounding into form, but they have got to catch the ball. Like They're <laughs> leaving so many opportunities on the field. Dan Orlovsky posted the Ravens dropped eight passes for at least 185 yards and three TDs. That's last week. Like, that was last week. That's yeah. not the season. It was 
obscene the amount of times receivers normally trustworthy receivers like Andrews got hit in the hands and just dropped the ball. And so the concepts are working. The receivers are running the routes well, getting open. Lamar is playing extremely well, and it's not showing up because that last part in the job description, we always say it, receiver, you got to catch it. Can't catch it for him is what JT says on his channel. They're going to have a week. This might be the week where that happens. It's going to be an interesting test for Lamar. Um, but every time they tried to get rolling last week, they ended up with a drop and it killed a drive or it stalled momentum. And it just it made that game look a lot closer when people say teams play down. This is playing down, right? Not executing, having everything else but the final thing you need to do. It's like a defensive coordinator who puts his guys in position and then the guy misses the tackle. And, you know, the running back goes for another 20 yards. It's It wasn't a bad call. It's the right thing. You just got to execute. And if the Ravens execute, they're going to be good. Well, they, they straight they, up should have won last week. Like, it cost them the game, 100%, honestly. 100%. You know, they let the Steelers hang around rather than blowing them out, and then they lost in the end. So, hold on to the damn ball. That's all you yeah, hold do. on to the damn ball. And they do need more targets. Like, Zay and Mark Andrews are a solid start, but they need more targets who can produce consistently. I know... There are a lot of Bateman backers around the NFL. I was not one of them. And he I keep waiting for him to play up to all that potential, and he just hasn't. And you look at balanced offenses across the NFL, they have multiple targets they can go to at different levels. The Ravens have two good ones right now and a bunch of guys that are question marks. Um, someone called them the most overrated wide receiving core in the NFL a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, Maybe. Yeah, it's, it's possible that that's true. So we'll see about that in the offseason. But back to this one. We hear a lot about Miami's run game, but I've heard like zero about the Ravens rushing attack. In fact, lots of people whispered, well, you know, Monken will be good because he'll bring some balance to the passing game. But look, his running game won't be as good because he's not Greg Roman. Monken's dialing it up so far. 50% of all the Ravens runs are power, counter, pin, and pull. So it's lots of the same run schemes that we saw work for Roman, which is good for familiarity of the offensive line and the backs. Um, but the passing game is so much better structured that it takes a little bit. It, it, again, shifts that balance, and the rushing you know, attack has been just as effective, which I we're not hearing that, right? But when you look at their effectiveness um, versus a team like Miami that everybody's just gushing over their rushing numbers. Ravens are right there. They're top three in a lot of lot of rushing metrics. That is a very good thing for them. And I would say slightly unexpected. Lots of people expected better and more modern passing concepts. I don't think most people expected equal or better rushing production. Well, even when we did the the Ravens offseason series and we were looking at Monken's run game of Georgia, we were like, okay, it's inside zone inside zone inside zone here's more inside zone like they didn't call these types of runs at Georgia and so I I, I do think it's a a credit to Monken that he came in you know looked at all the films like what what works for you guys oh running power running counter uh running all manner of, of pin and pull schemes so he's like all right we're just gonna keep doing that like we're just gonna take Greg Roman's run game like literally Greg Roman's run game and then just combine it with my passing game. And it's worked. It's worked really, really well. Um, and, you know, you, you had a note in here that the Titans are top 10 rushing defense by EPA per play. Uh, so it will be a test. But at the same time, I feel like this is one of the run games that is built 
to measure up to that test because of how versatile it is, because of how adaptable it is. It, like all, all the good things about Greg Roman's run game that made it work against basically everybody, regardless of how <laughs> good their run defense was. Like all that's still the same. Um, I went back and I watched the Titans against uh, the Colts last week because they had they had a couple nice runs in that game, and I wanted to see what worked and see if any of it translated to what we might see from Baltimore, um, especially when it comes to like pulling guys around and, and power runs and all that kind of stuff. Um, and there was an interesting little note from that they they've only allowed a little over two yards per carry against power so far this year. The the Tennessee front seven. Because uh, they're really, really tough. They have these just hulking <laughs> edge players that crash down inside. They'll do what's called wrong arming you. So they'll get inside the puller and spill everything outside. They don't let you just create those seams up the gut. Um, and Indy wanted to prevent these edge players from being a factor and from spilling everything constantly. So what they did was instead of calling traditional power plays where you pull the backside guard, they called dart. And dart, what that allows you to do um, is you can run it. Uh, you can run it towards uh, the bubble, like away from uh, the strength of the defense. And you're you're literally just pulling the backside tackle, so you can get big on big on the front side. So the edges, like if you're calling uh, like a traditional counter run, the edges you're just going to let them go, so they have all the freedom of movement to crash inside and spill everything out. Uh, but with dart, like you're still getting big on big front sides, so you can kind of lock those big hulking edges outside and still get somebody wrapping up and through. Uh, and and the Colts had a little bit of success with that. And I kind of feel like we might see the Ravens try that in terms of pulling their tackles instead of their guards, so that they can get big on big front side. And I also think that. We might see them mix in um, the the quarterback counter run game as well, uh, especially like bash counter where you know Lamar is the one following the pullers and the back is flowing the other way. So you're trying to get the linebackers to hesitate a little bit, keep them from just coming downhill at you. I think that in terms of the Greg Roman run game that they're still using, there are answers to the type of run defense that Tennessee is. And I think we might see those in this game. And that's a big reason why, like if I'm filling out our underdog slip where we have one name, uh, one name per game, you know, we always, we always do this every single week. Uh, I have Gus Edwards higher than 41 and a half rushing because I think hmm. from a schematic perspective, the Ravens run game is kind of built to not gash, but be successful against what Tennessee does well against the ground. When we talked about those really fun matchups at the top of the show, this is one of those execution matchups. The scheme looks good on both sides. Titans run defense, very solid, like you said. Huge front four, love to crash. They really play in Vrabel's image, I think, versus the run. Ravens run game, good scheme, good players. Gus is a very good runner. And again, built for some of those more powerful inside runs. So this is strength on strength, and we're going to see who executes, who wins, who gets the gaps. It's going to be a great battle. There's probably going to be wins on both sides. I like Edwards higher than 41. I think he has the talent to do that. And like you said, I think he's got the line and the scheme in front of him that will support, you know, again, not massive explosives. That's not very likely against the Titans defense, but more than 41. Eh, I feel okay with that. Just a quick reminder, by the way, uh, if you feel like 
detailing this slip because we do one name per game as we go about uh, throughout this show. If you feel like tailing it or just completely fading it because you think we're total idiots, either way, totally fine with me. Uh, you can use our promo code bootleg at underdog fantasy in the link down in the description below. They will match your deposit up to $500. Now it's up from a hundred. Now it's 500. So, uh, whatever you deposit could be $5, $10, 20 bucks up to 500. They will literally double it. And you can use that 500 on anything you want on the platform, whether it's fantasy, whether it's pickums. Uh, again, whatever your heart desires, you, you basically just get $500 for free. So you can uh, even bet on kickers. Yeah. You can even bet on kickers. I, <laughs> EJ does not, uh, I do, condone I do it, not but you can do it. <laughs> right. I, I cannot, my name is EJ Snyder and I cannot support the content of betting on kickers, but <laughs> totally support underdog and they totally support us. They're making sure that we can continue to do this for the next two years. So Huge thanks to them. And yeah, if it's your thing, hop over now up to 500 bucks. Uh, moving on to Titans offense versus Ravens defense. There is a reason why I did not put any Titans offensive player on our slip this week. And it's because I really, really do not like this matchup for Tennessee. Um, I went back and I watched how uh, the Ravens defense played against... Uh, the Steelers, who called a lot of the same personnel groupings, a lot of the same formations that the Titans like to, or rather the Titans prefer to operate out of when games don't get away with them or get away from them. You know, lots of 12 personnel, lots of 21 personnel, running it down your throat, all that kind of stuff. Um, the way that Baltimore handles these personnel groupings is is pretty interesting to me. Either it's going to be straight man coverage in cover one because they really trust their DBs. And they should. Their DBs have played well this year. Uh, but if the formation is condensed, you know, everything's kind of in the core, you would think, okay, they're going to play cover three so they can get eyes on the backfield, you know, um, you know, like, like how Dallas played against a lot of the condensed stuff from San Francisco. No. They play quarter, quarter, half with the half field safety to the boundary. The reason why Baltimore does that and why not a lot of other teams do it, but why Baltimore specifically does it is because, again, their DBs can tackle. And so what that does is when you have, when you're basically playing cover two to the boundary against 12 personnel and quarters to the field, that corner that's playing the flat to the boundary is in the run fit. Like he's the force player, right? Like his eyes are in the backfield. He is ready to trigger on the run. He doesn't have to, you know, get depth or anything like that to, to run with a receiver. Like he can just play the run knowing that there is a safety over the top of him. So that if it's play action shot, like he's not going to get got down the field. Right. And what that does is it allows the defensive line, which they run a lot of under fronts there allows the defensive line to be super aggressive against the run. It allows the linebackers to be super aggressive against the run because they know that they don't, they don't really have to, cheat towards any sort of cutback they don't have to be like super conservative against it because they got two dbs on the backside that could tackle anything on the boundary so they can basically just flow to the field and just trigger as hard as humanly possible um secondly <laughs> again they run a lot of under fronts um and uh, when you're running quarters to the field that safety again eyes on the backfield he's like 10 yards off the deck like he is ready to fill that b gap like a freaking missile 
And they the only reason they can play this coverage, or rather specifically the run fits from this coverage, are because their DBs can tackle. And again, it frees up the defensive line to just shoot gaps and not give a single shit, which is why they're so good against the run. So everything kind of works together. They're really hard to uh, to to break runs in space outside because their DBs can tackle. And the fact that they can penetrate so much so freely because they trust their DBs means that they're going to be on Derrick Henry really quickly and forcing him to cut earlier than he wants to cut. Again, this is this is a running back that historically, you know, he wants to kind of string you out as long as possible, build up momentum, and then not necessarily slam on the brakes and cut up field. Derrick Henry's more of a bender in terms of how he he operates in his own running game. Like he wants to be up to momentum first and then just kind of bend into the cutback lane. The Ravens aren't gonna let him do that because they are so freaking aggressive from these quarter quarter half looks. So uh, the reason why I didn't put any Titans offensive player on the slip is because I don't think they're going to be able to establish the run. And if you're not able to establish the run, the Titans, I mean, when's the last time they were successful on offense at all without getting Derrick Henry going? So I don't uh, I don't feel good about this one for Tennessee, not going to lie. The whole maelstrom of the Ravens defense uh, that Mike McDonald has cooked up that you just laid out in detail, that aggressiveness against the run, you talked about this last week about defensive coordinators wanting to create explosive plays early in the set of downs, not waiting until third down, but leveraging first and second. Orchestrating that whole mess is Roquan Smith, and we haven't talked about him this yet this year, really, and we need to. He's playing like one of the best overall defenders in the league, and I don't think that's hyperbole. I think he's a top five defender in the league right now, and he's top 15 in tackling stats sack and a half, four passes broken up, two interceptions, four TFLs in 190 coverage snaps. And that's a lot for a linebacker going through five games. He's allowed 14 total receptions for 85 yards and no TDs. He is playing so well sideline to sideline. What we saw him do early in his career in Chicago, his pass coverage is as good or better. And he's the guy keying off this whole firecracker. And Mike McDonald has got to be so, so pleased that they got that guy, a guy that can do pretty much everything he needs him to do and maybe even a little bit more. He is their version of Fred Warner right now. He's not getting the same kind of press, but he is covering the same kind of distance. He is playing multiple roles forward and back, side to side. Roquan is crushing it right now in that acquisition for the Ravens. A lot of people said, oh, what are you doing paying a middle linebacker that much money? He's making them look smart. Top five run defense yet again. That's EPA play a lot per play allowed. Um, not likely to be a lot of rushing yards. I agree with you. I think they're gonna they're gonna try and smother that Titans running attack because they like their odds if they put the ball in Tannehill's hands and make him throw anything but short to medium. Which again, with that with those DBs that tackle really well and that sort of forward facing aggressiveness, they love that game. You want to spill it out to the sides and try and throw screens? Go for it. They've got yeah. the, they've got the guys to knock that down. So Tannehill's played better of late, but the Tennessee passing attack is crying out for a big play wide receiver. I know everybody. These are AJ Brown tears. Just cry them now. They miss him <laughs> badly. Traylon was supposed to be the guy they relied on, but he's been injured. Um, 
He was uh, DNP, did not play as of Wednesday. It's now Thursday. I haven't seen any update. Even if he comes back again, he's probably not going to be immediately full health. That's just not how it goes at this point in the season. Injuries are affecting every team, but this one pretty badly because they put the eggs in the trail on basket in terms of, hey, he's going to be the guy that's going to be able to get over the top of a defense and really sort of open things up so they don't squat on everything. And they don't have it right now. So, yeah, they're going to get some plays to shake. Um, Ty J. Spears has looked pretty good in the passing game. They have some other options, but they don't have that go-to guy that they can really lean on. So if they do force the ball back into Tannehill's hands, their sort of victory chances go way, way up. So I would look for a heavy emphasis on stopping the run from the Ravens early, early in the downs, early in the games, because if they accomplish that and really force the, the Titans to sort of go to their second hand, it's it's probably not going to be pretty for Tennessee. Yeah, this this is a game that just screams. I, I, I want to say like, and this is out of full respect for Tennessee's defense. This screams like fifteen to nine, you know. Like <laughs> now, it doesn't mean that Baltimore can't blow them out. Like I give Baltimore a lot higher odds of blowing out Tennessee than Tennessee blowing out Baltimore. But just looking at both these defense and looking at how both these offenses operate, it just feels like a low-scoring defensive game. And I'll give it like a twenty percent odds that Lamar just has one of his Lamar games and just completely wipes him off the face of the earth. But it feels like a defensive game to me, which can be entertaining, by the way. It totally can be entertaining. Like I love watching good defensive battles. But um, last week, Baltimore. Pittsburgh was not a defensive battle. That was just a frustrating non-offensive affair. And I hope that we don't get that one again. I don't know. I think it was pretty offensive. <laughs> like, it was, it was offensive watched, to people that like offense. That's for I damn watched, sure. I watched the whole thing, and it is one of those teams. Um, and some folks are probably going to get on me for this. It reminded me of a soccer game, right, of European football, where mm. one team, or even a hockey game, watched a hockey game the other night. I watched... Um, Kraken versus the Golden Knights and through the first period like Kraken had a million shots and they just couldn't solve the Vegas keeper and Vegas had like in the early going three shots and a goal yeah. <laughs> just and it was like come on and it it felt like that last week with Baltimore Pittsburgh like Baltimore had all these chances they had a bunch of good drives at all these drops Pittsburgh really wasn't doing anything on offense they were all defense and credit to their defense their defense played really well kept them in the game it was the reason they won but it just felt like, come on, you know, and Baltimore just couldn't, you know, solve the goalie, right? And you ended up with a result in the end. Like you said, they let him hang around. I put out a tweet in the middle of that game, said, you don't want to do that. AFC North games, you do not want to let the other team hang around. I don't care who the other team is because they will, you know, drag you down into the mud and beat you with experience. And that's exactly what the Steelers did. Next thing you know, one big ball to Pickens. That's, that's right. it. That's all you need. That's right. God, that game was so hard to watch. It was difficult, yes. <laughs> it was not good. One not really good. quick interruption, then we'll get right back to the show, I promise. Today's episode is brought to you by ButcherBox, and if you're looking at all the food that's on your screen right now, of course, if you're watching the YouTube version of this show, everything there that you're seeing is using meat that we've gotten delivered from ButcherBox. That dirty rice was using their ground beef. I also got the strip steaks from ButcherBox. I got the Cajun rib tips from ButcherBox. Even the chicken breast, which I pan-seared last week and then kind of paired that with my homemade uh, pesto genovese, which I threw on some pasta, that chicken came from ButcherBox too. 
They have basically every single cut you can think of, whether it's 100% grass-fed beef, there's also, again, the free-range chicken, wild-caught seafood, pork that is raised crate-free. If you want it, they probably got it. And they also have recipes available on their website for every single item that they have as well. So if you're looking for any sort of creative inspiration for how to cook it, they can help you out there too. If you happen to be a meat eater like both me and EJ, and you want a more convenient way to get your meat, just check out ButcherBox at the link in the description below. That is butcherbox.com bootleg. And if you use promo code bootleg on your order, A, you're going to get $20 off. But B, and this is the kicker, you're also going to get free ground beef for life in every single box. So as long as you keep that subscription to ButcherBox, you will get two pounds of ground beef for free in every single shipment. I want to thank ButcherBox for continuing to work with us once again because our sponsors help to make this show possible. And our audience supporting our sponsors also makes this possible. So thank you to everybody who's already used our code on ButcherBox and encouraging them to come back because it really does make a difference. With that, thank you all for listening and watching. Let's now get back to the show. Uh, all right, second game on the docket, Seahawks-Bengals. This one I, I'm genuinely really excited to watch. Uh, and I've been excited to watch, right? Because even going into the summer, we're like, ooh, that one could be a, a really, really high-scoring, just bombing it down the field, all these great receivers, two great quarterbacks. Now that we're here, I don't think that's what we're going to get. I think, again, <laughs> we are going to get defensive, um, really tough Probably frustrating if you're a Bengals and Seahawks fan to watch because I think they're both used to high flying passing attacks, and I just I don't think we're going to get that in this one. I think both defenses match up well against both offenses. If either team cracked twenty points in this one, I would consider that a moral victory. Truly, like I <laughs> I don't I don't think we're getting a big old offensive showcase. Most likely not, and this is a game that's really fun in terms of matchups because all four primary units, not talking about special teams, I'm not dissing special teams, I'm just saying offense and defense on both sides of this one are good and well-coached and have explosive plays within them offensively or defensively. Great, great matchup. Shane Waldron's been calling some of the most interesting stuff in the league we're always talking about Ben Johnson and we've highlighted, you know, Drew Petzig is a, a really creative OC. Some of the Atlanta stuff has been fun. Obviously Miami, we've talked up a lot. Shane Waldron has been getting a lot of sort of whispers of like, are you, are you watching Shane Waldron? Like Shane Waldron's coming into his own. The balance is coming along doing, I don't think anybody in the league uses tight ends more creatively than Shane Waldron. And that's super fun. Cause they've got, you know, four of them that they like to use. Balance seems to be improving, and he's building that knack as a play caller, which is one of the most exciting things to me watching the Seahawks this year is, like, he seems to know when to pull the lever. And he was learning that for the last couple of years, and there's a lot of questions about how much was on him and how much was Pete, you know, Seahawks fans say meddling, but involved in the offense and sort of devolving towards we need to run the ball more. Seems like Shane Waldron, A, has his own leash um, this this year and he's using it really really well 
not a super heavy motion team, more static offense, only about a 50% rate of using motion, but one of the best from, again, a more static set. Some offenses need that motion to create opportunities. The Seahawks don't. Even with backup tackles, and it's possible, last update we've got is that uh, Cross is limited in practice midweek. We'll see if he can go. He's been out since very early on, and they've still been making it happen, which is a very good sign uh, for the Seahawks. So I, I, like you, am looking forward to multiple matchups in this one, but that Waldron versus Lou Anarumo matchup is, you know, we've, we've talked up Lou a lot. We talked about him last week. We talked about him in our recap episode this week. He is a tremendous defensive coordinator and he calls a very solid and I would call it suffocating game plan. So that leans (laughs) into your note that we're probably not going to see those explosive plays. We can always see the players break out. And again, you know, you can draw it up perfectly and somebody breaks a tackle or, you know, DK just goes and mosses somebody and then it's 60 yards. Like, we can still see that. Same thing on the other side. But in terms of, like, well-coached, tons of talent. Like, we've talked about the Seahawks draft as one of our favorites for the past couple of years. All that talent is coming together. Bengals, obviously, super talented team. This is a fun one, like, on just, like, everywhere you look on the field. There's good matchups, coaching, players scheme it's going to be a fun one i the thing that i'm i'm really curious to see you know speaking of draft classes that we like and young talent that we want to see get involved i'm curious to see if this is the jsn game that we've been waiting for you know he's only got so i I think 12 catches i think so far in in four games for them which is and have you noticed like how many people are dumping on him over the last week especially like a lot of people have come out of the woodwork and said, see, I told you it wasn't going to be any which, good. Which is like, dumb. It's and I was dumb like, because what? like, if, if you're actually watching the film, like it's not a JSN problem to me. Like they just haven't really prioritized using him. And, and partly that's because they haven't needed to, you know, when you have DK and you have Lockett and you have a million tight ends and, you know, walkers running the ball. Well, like they haven't needed to prioritize him. Like most of if you're just watching his targets on film, it's, you know, little speed outs from the mm-hmm. slot because they're trying to create a vertical stretch down the boundary uh, to, like, generate whole shot opportunities to DK and lock it. You know, it's it's screens, and some of them have not been super well executed. It's like shallow crosses <laughs> as a check down option. They're not featuring him. No. You know, they're not... They're not saying, hey, go run up the seam and, you know, against like a, a middle field close look and let's see if we can, you know, sneak one into you and let you catch it. They're not saying, hey, we're, we're going to have you run a high cross against cover one and be like our main option on that play. We're not going to give you a choice route opportunity on third and seven. Like, they're not featuring him, but against. The Bengals' defense, which is seventh in man coverage, again, like they're very man-heavy defense, and they're uh, seventh in blitz rate overall with, by the way, 37% of those blitzes being slot blitzes. I kind of feel like this is the JSN game because they are going to get man coverage matchups where, hey, if we want to call a deep cross with him, we can call a deep cross with him. Hey, if if we're getting a bunch of slot blitzes, guess who's going to be the hot JSN like this is the game to get him involved it absolutely is um and I I hope that we finally see that because 
by God, he's due. I think they're saving him, and I. this is just my little pet theory. I'll hop on my soapbox for a minute. Because we saw it in the preseason, and then it just stopped. Like, mm-hmm. they ran him, you know, uh, you know, they ran sevens with him out of the seam in the preseason. And he won, right? And everybody got really excited, and rightfully so, me included. And then we got to week one, and it's whip routes, speed outs, ins, hot answers where he just basically go turn your numbers and, you know, float to space, which he's really good at. And he can do all that. He's a technician studying under Heartline at OSU. He gets all that. But I have a feeling Waldron's keeping that in his pocket. <laughs> and I would like to see him, especially with those, you know, slot blitzes coming and the hot, just be the answer and, and have like high volume of catches. And he's creative after the catch. We talked about that pre-draft as well. I would like to see him have a solid game, but I really feel like Waldron's holding that in his pocket for down the stretch. Like, oh, I'll, you know, he's going to have like 12 weeks of film and all you're going to see is dink and dunk stuff. And some defensive coordinator is going to be like, we don't have to worry about JSN. Just, you know, stay. You, you can cheat routes if you want to. Play him tight, whatever. <laughs> and then he's going to double move somebody into oblivion and go up the seam on a seven and score like a 60 yard touchdown in like, you know, some game that gets them into the wild card or something. And it's going to be like, I was just holding it. I was just holding it. Cause he could do it. We just didn't want to show it to anybody. Well, I mean, they're trying to keep up with, uh, with San Francisco right now. So if there was ever a time <laughs> to, to just unload the clip, it's probably right now. Like they got to win these games and they need him. Right. We talk about this with the Eagles, where if you step on, if you can stop AJ, great, then it's Devonta and Goddard. If you can stop them, then they're going to go to their third or fourth options. They're going to go to their running backs, whatever else. And it's the same way here. Like if they put a if they put the clamps on DK and say we're not gonna we're not gonna lose on big bombs to DK, um, and then then they manage to lock down Lockett, which is a challenge. He's a very very talented receiver. Like Jason's next in line. Like yeah. yes, they're gonna they're gonna run Walker some, but I don't think again what I said at the top with Waldron. I don't think they're just gonna pivot back to oh they locked up you know DK and Lockett. Now we're just gonna run it because obviously that's what you want them to do if you're the Bengals you would you would take your chances with a lot of runs from Walker but they can go to JSN that's why we're so excited when they got him in the draft it gives them an option when they get those you know if they get those top two stopped you've still got a really dynamic option at option three who can carry a a significant portion of this game load so I'm with you I'm I think it's time and they may need him to do that this week they haven't needed it so far Flipping over to the other side of the ball, uh, an equally intriguing matchup to me, by the way, Bengals offense against Seahawks defense. Um, A lot of this will be, a lot of the intrigue, I should say, will be dictated by whether or not we see T. Higgins out there. He was limited in practice on Wednesday. We haven't seen a Thursday injury report yet as of the time of recording this. Um, They didn't necessarily miss him last week because Jamar did Jamar things. (laughs) that being said uh the Seahawks defense is structured very differently than the Cardinals defense we bemoaned Arizona for basically just refusing to play press coverage at all against Jamar and just giving him free access all game so there's a lot of smoke routes a lot of slants a lot of speed outs a lot of yards after catch opportunities the one deep shot that Jamar got 
was a deep post off of a, a six-man pass protection, which Cincy like never calls. Like, like they never call heavier pass protections, but they did it to to dial up the one deep ball to Jamar. But everything else, they were just giving him free access all day long and just letting him do whatever he wanted. Um, whereas you look at a lot of the teams that that had success against the Bengals this year healthy burrow or not but really just having success at covering jamar on film they didn't do that they were up in his face they were pressing him they were making joe hold the ball you know they weren't just giving him the free stuff seattle doesn't give you the free stuff in the first four weeks they were second in press coverage snaps behind only uh new orleans and they have the corners to do it you got Tariq wallen who i love jamar Jamar is incredible. He's insanely talented. You're not getting vertical in Tariq Wollin, okay? He's gigantic, and he runs 4-3. Like, he can run with you down the boundary. And then you got this freak of nature Rondé Barber clone in the slot, Witherspoon, who, again, <laughs> not that a lot of slot corners are super comfortable playing press coverage against a guy like Jamar Chase. Witherspoon is. He's tough. He's strong and freakishly athletic. Um, you know, Kobe's limited. Uh, or, no, Kobe was DMP. Um, so we'll, we'll see exactly how, how deep the corner depth goes this week, but just those top two guys alone, you know, if they're facing Jamar, I feel a lot better about, about Woolen and Witherspoon against him than I do about any DB in Arizona last week. So it's a different matchup schematically and in terms of just pure talent on talent. I don't like it as much for Cincy, and if T's not out there, um, I I do. God, it feels so wrong to say this. I hesitate to be all the way back in on the Bengals train if T is not out there, because if if there are any teams that are out there to kind of that are kind of built to stop what Cincy has done well in the past, it's Seattle. And I just, I don't know if, if since he has a counterpunch against that right now, I, I, I know it sounds insane to be like, oh, I don't know, betting against Joe Burrow. But like when I filled out my slip and I was trying to figure out like, do I like any of these numbers for any Bengals players? No. Do I like any of these numbers for any Seattle players? No. The only one that I, I kind of felt comfortable with as sacrilegious as it sounds was Burrow lower than 270 passing yards. Am I stupid, EJ? I think you're stupid. I think you're looking at the way the Bengals have played, and that includes their resurgence, you know, with Burrow Health against Arizona last week and finally hitting the deep ball. But again, it reminds me very much of the Cowboys playing, you know, the Patriots and then going to play the 49ers. You know, the Bengals played the Cardinals and now they're going to play the Seahawks. The Seahawks are not the Cardinals, especially defensively and especially in the secondary. It's really good. They're going to have their hands full against Chase. Everybody does. But they do have the matchups and the weapons to deal with that. Um, they can't really afford any injuries like that. Kobe, the Kobe thing hurts, and we'll see about depth. But in terms of starter on starter, you're looking really good. And Clint Hurt's been dialing up some of the greatest pressure in the NFL, like greatest pressure schemes, not in terms of production and rate. His rates have been good. But Mafe and Wosu have been true threats. If they start stacking up hits on Burrow, Burrow looked truly mobile last week for the first time, I would say, all season since the calf injury. He he had some 
nifty avoidance of pressure in the pocket, which is one of the great facets of his game that hadn't been there. He'd been very statuesque because he just couldn't move. He was playing on one leg, basically. But if they start racking up hits, you're not going to be able to get that deep passing game, quick or otherwise, because pressure is supporting coverage, and that's the way defense should work hand-in-hand. It's been working that way in Seattle. So, again, completely different situation than Arizona where they had success. It'd be nice to see Higgins out there, but even when he's been out there, something's off with him. Like, he's going to be one of those guys that gets to, you know, they don't do it during the season. So end of the season, he's going to be like, oh, yeah, by the way, I, like, shredded my meniscus in week two and I just played through it and everybody goes oh okay that's why you didn't look like yourself because even when he's been out there he has not been the same player so it you know it helps to have another option out there but doesn't feel like he's at full strength it feels like the Hawks are catching Cincy at the wrong time a little bit because they just had that first bit of success uh, they just, you know, Burrow is definitely more mobile. He has a better base. He could throw the deep ball. They finally opened that up against Arizona. Like if they hadn't done that, I would be leaning so hard on the Hawks in this game. But that first little like, oh, we're back. We've had success doing what makes us really good as an offense for the Bengals makes me just a little bit wary because when and if that connection hits, the Bengals offense is a completely different machine. I just need to see them do it again, you know, mm-hmm. um, because again, the, the the Cardinals defense is just so so different than the defenses that have worked against them so year uh, this year. I just I need to see them be successful against a team that is going to challenge them with press man coverage. If they can do that, like if they roll out there and they're running nine eighty nine, like the twenty twenty one Bengals or whatever year that that just. It was incredible for them. It seemed like it worked every single time. If they roll out there and they can just throw go balls off three-step drops and hit it every single time, okay, fine. Since he's back, you know, just mark him down for the playoffs. They're, they're going to be there. If this game looks like week one, you know, against, uh, against Cleveland where they came out there and they played man 40% of the time, and they're like, we're, we're not threatened by you. You know, hobbled or not, like even even if you uh, even if you have both calves functioning, like we're not threatened by you throwing low percentage balls all day. If if Seattle goes out there and plays that style and wins, I have deep, deep concerns for the Bengals at that point, because then what other excuses do you have? You know, because all the other stuff that we've talked about throughout the year of like, oh, their run, their 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 run game uh, lacks creativity against Baltimore. They were running duo all day when Baltimore was running cover two, and and they couldn't they couldn't they move anybody adjust. off the line of scrimmage. Like they they couldn't like they they generated zero movement off double teams and made Joe Mixon basically fight for his life on every carry, and it was waved away of like, yeah, well, this isn't the real offense. Joe's hurt. And it's like I don't know, like run blocking doesn't. <laughs> have anything to do with Joe Burrow's yeah, calf, but and, fine, and whatever. If, and if Joe's hurt, this is what you need to do to yeah, win, and, and you and, can't. So. But pe- people were hand-waving that away, and then they were also hand-waving away, like, hey, T doesn't look like himself, and they were hand-waving away, like, hey, Jamar didn't, like, early in the year, didn't look like himself, and the pass protection wasn't great, and everything was just like, well, Joe... And it's like, no, not Joe. Like, there's 10 other dudes in the offense that don't look fucking good right now. Like, what? 
<laughs> this isn't just about a calf muscle. There's other deep-seated issues here. And then they went and they played against a defense that played them scared as if they were still the 2021 Bengals. And and that defense got the shit kicked out of them. But like if ten, if Seattle goes back to doing the stuff that worked against them and they can't beat it, where's the excuse now, right? Because if, if we're at the point where it's like, well, Joe's healthy and they still lose, you're out of runway at that point. Now you're looking at the other systemic issues that have been staring you in the face for a month and a half and be like, shit, you know, we don't, we don't have any more excuses. So that's my worry here. I'm not saying that, that Cincy can't come out and look like Cincy. What I'm saying is their style of play, you have to hit every single green light. And when they don't do that, it's very similar to Dallas. Like Dallas can only play with a lead. <laughs> when you don't hit every single green light, you got nowhere else to run. And the Hawks could and very well may come out and put the clamps on them. Like, and if they do, I'm with you. There are serious questions at that point of when you match up against a physical and talented team, especially in the secondary, and they make you grind for it instead of just having, you know, 20 and sometimes 40 yard chunks to either wide out typically, and you can't pivot, which we have not seen you do really successfully throughout. And you're right. It's been on, Hey, it's all keyed by Joe. And, you know, Joe started to look healthy, but if Joe's healthy and Jamar's out there and Seahawks come out and just knock him in the mouth and they can't pivot, you know, reset and come back and punch back. Yeah. Then the question is, then what? And in terms of crossing off names on my whiteboard that I just have to mention, we haven't talked about enough yet this year. One name I forgot to mention, Bengals defense, Trey Hendrickson. Hawks are going to have to account for him. It'll be nice if they get crossed back to help with that, but second in the league in sacks, he's going to create pressure. Again, just like we said, if the Seahawks edge rushers hit Burrow, if Hendrickson starts hitting Geno, their offense is going to look a little bit different too. So we'll see how that works out. Uh, I, I still think his power comes from not wearing gloves. I, anytime I see a, an edge rusher <laughs> out there that's barehanded with no tape, I'm like, mm, that's a scary individual. He's this awesome. is your... This is your Major League Baseball playoffs take for football. It's Any very uh, like you remember. Gloves? You remember Justin Smith, uh, another former. Oh yeah, Justin Smith, where he'd just be out there, just barehanded, just mugging people. You're like, oh, that's somebody I'm not going to fuck with. Like right. <laughs> Trey falls into that category. He's awesome. Reminds reminds me of the old adage: if you you know have a disagreement with somebody in a bar and they have cauliflower ear, just apologize. <laughs> yep, exactly. If they don't tape their fingers, they don't care. <laughs> they don't care about pain. <laughs> yep. uh, all right. Third game on the docket, Colts-Jags. Again, we mentioned, so, I believe, the first rematch of the year. Because it's they're already seeing each other for the second time six weeks in. I don't think anybody else has had a rematch of a division game yet. Um, feel free to fact check us in the comments, folks, if I'm wrong. But I think this is the first rematch. Uh, however, this game is very different because it's going to be Gardner Minshew playing from the beginning uh, and not just coming in in relief of an injured Anthony Richardson, uh, which has already happened this year three times, I think, uh, including once against uh, once against the Jags the first time. But this week he is preparing as the starter all week long. He is the starter. Um, I imagine the offense... I imagine the offense will look a lot different than it did the first time around. 
with Anthony Richardson uh, against Jacksonville. And I don't necessarily mean that in a positive way. Um, <laughs> if you're looking at the Jags run defense, which we have talked about a couple times as being one of the, the better ones in the league, which they are, they've been phenomenal. One of the only things that has really given this Jags run defense problem it, problems is explosive runs from mobile quarterbacks, Anthony Richardson included. Without him on the field, I, I really don't like this Colts run game against Jacksonville. Um, you know, Richardson led them in rushing in the first meeting. And even then, he's, I think he still only had like 40 yards. Like, I don't know. I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball uh, without having that element of their run game present. Because let's be honest, Gardner Minshew, not really scared of him on zone rates. No, he's not gonna he's not gonna threaten the defense that way. And we are now entering what I will call the month of Gardner Minshew. We have seen this before multiple times in his career, and Minshew looks really good as a backup quarterback. He looks really good in relief. He looks really good as your second pitch. When he starts playing consistently, you get about a month. And then defensive coordinators get film on him. They start prepping for him, and his efficiency declines. And everybody goes, what are we doing playing Gardner Minshew, even though he's the backup? So we are now officially into that month, and we may have eaten up a little bit of that cushion because he's already played a bunch this year, as you said. He's already come in in relief of Anthony Richardson several times. So it might be the two weeks of Gardner Minshew. We'll see. Josh Downs is already wide receiver two in this offense, gaining confidence every week. One of my 10 gems from this year, he's been averaging 16.5 per reception over the last two weeks, and he is ninth in the entire league in getting open against single-man coverage. This is a very good football player. We thought, hey, Alec Pierce is going to be the sort of high-end number two. He's going to be the T. Higgins in this offense. Downs has come in, and within the first month is clearly the number two option. Minshew likes targeting him maybe even a little bit more than Richardson does. So look for a heavy helping of Josh Downs because I, like you, think Zach Moss is a good runner, and I've been here for the Zach Moss resurgence, but this is not the week. If you have him in fantasy, do not play him against the Jags run defense. They are extremely good. Fourth best in EPA per play allowed versus the rush. Um, So I would imagine that Mike Caldwell is going to have the Jags alternate blitz pressure and dropping an extra defender because that's been Minshew's kryptonite. If you do not give him consistent looks on defense and you mug the line and then all of a sudden there's eight guys in coverage, he he has to hold the ball for a bit, which is not a good thing. Typically with Minshew, he is not a guy that makes a lot of plays late in the down. He does. He has his plays where he rolls out and makes throws late in the down. But that is if you are forcing Minshew into his third and fourth read and his third and fourth second holding the ball in the pocket, you're winning. So I imagine Caldwell will will have a nice little mixture of, hey, we're going to come for you and heat you up, which he's been pretty effective against, but we're also going to make you think we're coming to heat you up and then drop coverage and try and force you into those mistakes that we've seen him make at previous stops on his career. He's a very see-it-throw-it quarterback, and I've and I've gone and kind of looked back at all of his snaps from this year just to see if he's still he's still the Gardner Minshew that I know and love, um, and he is. You know, uh, If you're just looking at his numbers against pressure, or not pressure, uh, pressure packages, I should say, you know, blitzes, anything that's five plus rushers. He is 15 of 31, so less than 50% for 138 yards, a TD, a sack, four and a half yards per attempt, and that's including three drops, but not 
super great numbers against blitzes. And so I, I went back and I watched every single snap that he's taken against blitzes so far this year to see why. And that see it, throw it element is still, I would say, the predominant negative component of his game. And, and what I mean when I say see it, throw it. He has to see somebody be open before he will throw it to them. He is not an anticipatory thrower. He is not somebody who, when he sees a blitz coming, you know, he understands that the space behind where that blitz is coming from is uh, a void and that he has time to just hit a receiver that's replacing in that void before a defender can get over and cover it in hot coverage. Like, his, his spatial awareness against blitzes is just very poor because literally the way you beat blitzes is either A, you have a bunch of dudes in pass protection to pick it up, or B, you understand that if somebody is bringing pressure from the second level or if they're bringing pressure from the slot, that means that nobody's there to cover that space, and so you attack that space behind them. That's how Tom Brady was basically unblitzable through most of his career because he had very good spatial awareness. Also, they had a million different hot routes in that New England offense, but neither here nor there. Um, because Gardner is a see-it-throw-it quarterback, and he has to see somebody be open, he can't just anticipate them being open. He will literally stand there, look at the blitz, double pump it, wait for something to be open. Then by the time it, it they do fill that void, somebody's already coming over. Like, you know, a, a linebacker's already been screaming over to cover that hot receiver, and the, the window of time that he had to hit them to replace that blitz is already done. And so now he just has to eat it. Like he, he just doesn't process it quickly. He doesn't anticipate it quickly. Um, and it, it causes a lot of strife when you blitz him, let alone when you then back out of the blitz, like you said, and he thinks that he's going to get it. And then all of a sudden he has to really hold it. Cause he's like, Oh shit, what is this? You know? So, even though he's been around the league for a while, I still don't think he sees the field very well. I still don't think he processes very well. I think, honestly, Anthony Richardson has better just natural spatial awareness than Gardner does. Like, he's better against the Blitz than Gardner, even as a rookie, even as somebody who hasn't played very many games. So, in the absence of being able to run the ball without Anthony Richardson providing explosive runs himself, and in the absence of being able to handle the blitz, which Jacksonville blitzes a lot. What does that leave you for Indy? Max protection, shots one-on-one down the field, better hope that, again, whether it's Pierce or Downs or Pittman, you better hope that they go win their one-on-ones against two very good corners outside for Jacksonville uh, in, in Campbell and Darius. I don't see a lot of good answers here, EJ. Uh, I really don't. And this one has the makings of uh, a wee bit of a bloodbath in Jacksonville's favor. What it makes is uh, a lot of shots to Kylan Granson. And by shots, I mean mm, not shots. <laughs> Middle of the field throws <laughs> yeah. that are six and eight yard completions. If the Jags have a weakness, they're allowing the seventh most fantasy points to tight ends. Colts might look Kylan Granson's way a lot because of all the things we've laid out. And if they do, the Jags will live with that 100%. Love Kylan Granson. He is not going to beat you with those types of looks. They will give him 11 catches for 80 yards in this one and walk away very, very happy. In terms of uh, Jags offense, 
versus Colts defense. Uh, again, I'm not trying to be uh, <laughs> be too much of a downer for Colts fans that listen to this podcast. Again, we have been very uh, oddly pro Colts, even, and I say that as a Texas fan, like in terms of everything they've been doing to to build over this summer, we've been very pro Colts in their approach. But uh, matchups are matchups, and the Colts defensive matchup against this Jags offense is equally. Not great, Bob. Uh, Colts, again, call cover three the vast majority of the time, which you expect in any Gus Bradley defense. They are leading the league in cover three again. And as long as Gus is there, they will. Uh, The cover three will continue until morale improves. Now, uh, T-Law against cover three with four rushers. I'm not talking about a 3-3 fire zone. I'm talking about true, pure cover three. Seven guys in coverage, four rushing. He is 33 of 44. So 70, 77% completion percentage, not including drops. If you include drops, it's over 80%. Uh, 350 yards, two TDs, one INT, two sacks, 8.0 yards per attempt, 105.4 passer rating, uh, and that includes, again, that one drop. A lot of uh, the numbers I'm about to say were heavily influenced by the Texans game because C.J. Stroud ate up cover three in that game as well. But the Colts' defense has given up the second most first down throws in between the numbers in the NFL at 44 so far. Uh, it's a lot. Primarily because they play so much cover three. And Lawrence shredded it. Stroud shredded it. Um, it basically everybody that they've played <laughs> has totally shredded it over the middle. They've also allowed the most yards in between the numbers at already over 1,000 Okay, in five weeks, they're over a thousand yards allowed in between the numbers and the most gains of 15 plus yards at 23 already. So a lot of explosive plays over the middle. We have said wonderful things about the Colts linebackers so far this year, but they have been completely left out to dry uh, in this system because as hook zone defenders in a defense that plays constant cover three and everybody's calling beaters for the coverage that they know is coming. They're asked to be in two places at once at all times. They're asked to cover guys that are running behind them and in front of them at the same time. And that are sitting to their left and to their right. Like both of them. It's like, here's a, here's a 15 yard box for each one of you. You have to cover that entire box every single play. And they're going to be stretching you horizontally and vertically every single play because they know that you're in cover three, but you still have to do it. Go ahead. It's not fair. Like, they're not allowed to have any sort of uh, deception or <laughs> disguise or anything like that. It's, this is our structure. You play in this structure. You will be manipulated. You will be moved out of the way. C.J. Stroud, in his, like, third ever start, will be moving Zaire Franklin 10 yards off of this spot because he knows exactly what he's going to see. Go ahead, deal with it. And so I think these linebackers are done no favors by this system. They are put in an impossible situation and very few linebackers ever could survive in this type of defense where you know what you're going to see every single play and you kind of have to be a Hall of Famer to survive, i.e. Bobby Wagner and like KJ Wright. But unless you're Bobby Wagner, you're kind of fucked because they ask so much of them as their, as their hook zone droppers every single play. Um, so I say all this to make the point that 
not only does the Colts offense not match up well with the Jags defense, the Colts defense is a horrific matchup uh, in favor of Jacksonville for this offense because Trevor is, A, very cognizant of what he's about to see and very good against what he's about to see. I don't like any part of this game for Indy. I really don't. If there was any game this week that I had to predict to be a blowout, it's probably this one. There is nothing about this matchup, offensively or defensively, that I think favors Indy at all. Not really. <laughs> it, it's They're going to have to gamble, and that's never a great... That's basically like betting on hope as you go in as a game plan, and hope is not a strategy, but... They're going to have to hope that they can do some things well. Trevor should have a really good day because the Colts' pass rush is decent, but their coverage, for all the reasons that you just laid out, is below average. I'm betting Ridley eats versus their corners. Straight up one-on-one, he's better than either of their corners. We talked about this with Seattle where, hey, they have two guys. Colts don't have that guy versus Ridley. Ridley, no matter where he goes on the field, and even if he's in the slot, he's still going to eat. He's going to get his yards in this one. Etienne could be a little feast or famine. He's He's been feast for this pretty much this whole season. I said he's a developing superstar because he always gets his numbers. I expect him to get his numbers here. This is where the risk comes in for the Colts. The Colts run is near the top of the league in stops and TFLs, but their EPA per play is mid-pack, probably due to the high number of missed tackles. So basically, they're going to have to try and gamble and get him at or near the line of scrimmage. If they miss, they're going to get gashed. Like And then they don't have anything left because they can't just go, okay, we're going to play coverage now because we just talked about all the reasons why their coverage is going to get shredded. So they're going to try and have to sell out against ETN. If they get him, good for them. But if they miss, like then sort of all bets are off. We're back to what you were talking about, that I don't like any of this, right? And even if they gamble and start stuffing ETN, then they've got to deal with all the things we just talked about in coverage and it doesn't match up for them well. So it's like, mm, okay, you might win that phase and it would be good for you to shut down at least one part of the Jags offense. But after that, the other part's probably still going to kill you. We just saw what happened uh, last, was it either Monday or Sunday? I think it was Sunday night. You know, when the Cowboys were forced to play a lot of cover three based on the nature of the 49ers offense right and and when an offensive coordinator knows what he's going to see like you just lose right this is that it's literally the same thing like Doug Peterson's going into this game knowing what he's going to see it's not going to surprise him (laughs) so I just I don't know man it doesn't feel good to me um by the way that that whole diatribe that I had about (laughs) about these Colts linebackers is uh, a big reason why I took Trevor Lawrence higher then 251 and a half passing. Uh, that seems like a relatively conservative number, considering A, he's Trevor Lawrence, B, he's got weapons, C, uh, <laughs> everything wrong with the Colts defense so far this year. I think 251 is, is a pretty fair number. Uh, I immediately checked higher on that one. I feel I feel pretty good about it. Very solid. It's going to be difficult. If the Colts keep him under that number, their chances are going to improve. I don't think they're necessarily guaranteed a W. In fact, I definitely don't think they're guaranteed a W because I could see Trevor passing for like 225, ETN rushing for 150, and them still walking away in this game. But yeah, if 
if Press Taylor wants to go after these corners, Trevor's going to blow through 250. All right, next game on the docket. Lions-Buccaneers. We haven't got to talk about the Bucs in a while. Off the top of my head. They've kind of been like a sneaky... Sneaky decent team, not even decent. Sneaky no, good team this we've year. We've talked about players. We certainly talked about Baker, and we talked about Dave Canales uh, and the job he's doing with Baker. Uh, we've talked about some of their other largely offensive players. I may have uh, mentioned one of their safeties just out of straight mourning. <laughs> Antoine Winfield, yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, but no, we haven't talked about them as a team, which makes this a fun opportunity. Uh, Lions O versus the Bucks D. I think Detroit catches a bit of a break with the Tampa Bay secondary banged up. They have a very good, very physical secondary, but not all the players are there. Welcome to the NFL in Week Six. Like injuries are pretty much ravaging the league. They do every year. Seems a little bit worse this year to me than normal, but that might just be me. Jameson Williams is back. He's getting up to speed. He's probably going to pull Zion McCollum in coverage a few times, and that's a drag race I want to see. Because, like, <laughs> Jameson Williams is fast, and Zion McCollum's real fast. I think Jameson Williams is better as a football player, but it's going to be a fun foot race if all I want is, like, three straight one-on-ones on, on deep, Pick your route. I don't. I don't care. Nine. So literally, just a track meet. That's what you want. Yeah, to see. <laughs> I just want to see those two run together and see how that works out. Because Zion physically, like that's one of the reasons they drafted him. They needed a big, fast guy to match up with tight ends who can run the seam and outside wide receivers. And mostly because of injuries, he's playing and and might be thrust into that role. Look, I'd give Jameson Williams the edge in that role, but I want to see it. This is again, we talk about matchups at the top of the show. This is a good one. Amon Ra is still banged up. He was limited in practice. Do we have an update on that one today? Not um, yet. Okay. Least. Gibbs also DMP with a hammy. Decker as a tackle limited with the ankle. And Jonah Jackson DMP. That one hurts more than a lot of people think. Jonah Jackson's been playing really good football this year when he's been healthy. Um, so offensive line, a little banged up. It doesn't really slow down my enthusiasm for what the Lions have been able to do because Ben Johnson has been able to adapt to situation. We talked about teams that haven't adapted on the offensive side of the ball. We talked about Cincinnati having struggles in that area. Ben Johnson's been able to adapt every week, and it's one of the Lions, one of the reasons that the Lions are rolling. Um, David Montgomery is going to be trying to land body blows early, and that's going to be interesting because uh, the Bucks run defense, typically we think of that as very good. It hasn't been as good this year. So if they can't turn that tide, the Lions are going to grind them down. Like that is what Dan Campbell wants to do. We saw him go to the podium and, and sing Montgomery's praises as just that, his battering ram. I don't think there's any reason to think they'll go away from that if they can get away with it, I think. Typically, people that don't watch Bucks football might go, yeah, they got Vita Vea. You're not going to run on them. It's more typical in years past than it is this year. Um, Bucks defense against the run has not been as locked down as it has in previous years. And look, if Campbell can run the ball with David Montgomery, he's going to run the ball with David Montgomery. So I would look for him to get a lot of uh, a lot of touches in this one and try and establish that tone. Because Did you see, by the way, God. Uh, all of the... Uh, collective screams of frustration from the fantasy football community. Oh yeah, 100%. that drafted Jameer Gibbs in the third round. <laughs> yes, and, I mean you and I again. People can go back and check receipts when we did our Lions episode, which I think was like the second one we did in the offseason series. Yeah, and we literally third. laid it out in June of like 
this is what the backfield's going to be. Dave Montgomery's going to be the guy getting all the carries. Jameer Gibbs is going to be the guy getting catches, and, and he'll be used in between the 20s. But when they get in the red zone, it's the Dave Montgomery show. Like, we fucking laid it out, okay, like four months ago. So if you're acting surprised that they drafted their new DeAndre Swift in the top 12, that's on you. Like, we tried to tell you. We really did. Okay. <laughs> yeah, very directly. And, you know, look, if you fade us and we're right, you know, we, we get that one because we're wrong often enough. One of the fascinating matchups uh, that I think is going to be really interesting is Laporta. How the line, uh, how the Bucks are going to handle Sam Laporta because he is, he is morphing into a true receiving threat he's mashing tight ends in terms of overall yardage and usage and i don't see them turning away from that typically i would say hey the guy i mentioned at the top antoine winfield jr i would just pretty much put him on laporta and be as about as happy as i could be with that matchup because i think he matches up pretty well problem is with all the injuries in the tampa bay secondary they're going to need antoine winfield to do other things and then just like we talked about the colts linebackers he's being pulled in two directions he wants to cover laporta but he really needs to be over the top to support the corner over here and then you get secondary you know players who are stretched it's kind of like offensive linemen who have an injury next to them and they're like oh, i'll help out over here and they open up this gap and here comes the yeah rush you, you the can't just call cover one to have winfield on the porta because no all the other guys i'm <laughs> i mean mccollum's played honestly like mccollum's played well this year like he is yes. developing nicely mm-hmm. but overall like if i'm on Ra's on the field and if Jameis is on the field and Laporte is on the field and Gibbs, which I don't think you, I mean, Hammy's a finicky. I don't think Gibbs would be on the field, but it's not like Montgomery's a shit receiver either. Like if all these guys are on the field, like, do you feel comfortable playing cover one? I don't feel comfortable playing cover one. Like, guess what? We're in quarters and we're in cover two folks. Like Antoine, get your ass 20 yards deep. Like that's, that's what we're doing. Yeah. And it's, you know, Again, I would love to see it at full strength, but we're not going to see any team at full strength, it feels like right now. And so, yeah, on the matchups where you can get 101s there, I would feel pretty good. But as soon as you have to do something else or the Lions make you do something else with Anton Winfield Jr., Ben Johnson's going to be sending Laporta into his gap. Like, and he's probably going to have success because Goff's been hitting him and he's been paying off those touches. So fascinating matchup. I want to see how they try and handle it. It's just, it feels like one more lever that the Lions could use to really break what's left of the Bucks defense. Um, so there's, you know, lots of fun things to watch for this particular Lions O versus Bucks D, but those are some of the ones that I'm going to focus on. Uh, my note is that uh, the Lions are very low in pressure percentage allowed on the offensive line at 22.9%, sixth lowest in the NFL, so very good pass-protecting line, even though, again, they've been banged up. Uh, Ironically, Tampa is third best at about 20.8%, so good pass protection in their own right. But given that the Lions' pass pro has been good and given that Gibbs is hobbled and Amon Ra is hobbled, two guys that are very good uh, separators, two guys that are very good in terms of uh, finding space and just kind of being uh, really effective yards after catch threats and just kind of turning nothing into something, right? If I'm Tampa, I need to create time for my pass rush to get home. And I also need 
to not give Amon Ra and Gibbs space to operate. And I also need to have a safety in the deep middle so that Jameson Williams doesn't have a whole bunch of free space to run to on a deep post. And, and, and. <laughs> and, 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 and. And again, like, I I think that McCollum's played really well, and I think that Izian has been a revelation, but I'm not super comfortable sitting there and playing cover one, right? Um, where does that leave me? Match cover three. Like, tight, tight, aggressive match cover three. Not spot dropping cover three. I'm talking about... It's essentially man coverage with zone coverage principles or zone coverage with man coverage principles, whatever you want to call it, right? But we need a deep safety in the middle to protect against Jamison. We need guys playing aggressive and constricting space so that Amon Ra and Gibbs, or not even Gibbs, again, I'm not sure Gibbs is going to play, but Amon Ra, we think he will play so that he's not just given a whole bunch of space to sit stuff down and get easy catches for like six, seven yards a pop. Um, and we need to force Goff to hold the ball just a little bit extra because, again, this offensive line can pass protect really well. That pretty much just leaves me with match cover three, or if I'm feeling froggy. (laughs) I had a feeling this was coming. (laughs) And I want to play man coverage. Again, not sure I recommend it, but let's just say they do it. The specific man covers that I want to call, whether you call it one cross, one robber, one lurk, there's a bunch of different names for it, whatever you want to call it, like that, that is like the turnover generator in the NFL right now, right? Is you're calling man coverage, which is normally susceptible to a crossing route from either number two or number three, i.e. the Sam Laporta route (laughs) so far this year, like that's what they do. That is their can opener against man coverage is, oh, let's send Sam on a deep cross. Well, again, they bring the backside safety down. He sits in an intermediate zone uh, and and he will rob anything in that area of the field without sacrificing deep post help behind him to stop Jameson Williams from doing Jameson Williams stuff like that. That is like the one man coverage call I'm okay with. Uh, in this game because it's specifically designed to bait golf into a turnover. Not that which, which he will throw. He will throw. Well, them. he didn't for a long time and now all of a sudden <laughs> he's throwing picks again. So we'll see. Um, but I don't think you need to call one rat in this game. Assuming Gibbs is out. Um, if like, I would call one rat if I was worried about Gibbs on like angle routes over the middle, mm-hmm. if he's not there, We'll call one cross instead, and we'll put the help in the intermediate middle, not the short middle. Um, but I, I think overall, it's a lot of middle field close structures and just restricting space because it's the only way that we can get Jared to hold on to the ball, which is the only way that we can get the pass rush home because this Lions offensive line is so good. A lot of matchups. I would tend to favor the Lions O versus the Bucks D. Like you said, there are a few options, a very thin window. We talk about that for the Bucks to succeed. Flipping it over to the Bucks offense versus the Lions D. No Mike Evans makes it a little bit easier. Baker's going to have to be really careful. He's been playing really well, but so has Aiden Hutchison. He's on fire right now as a rusher. He's got 30 more pass rush snaps than anybody else in the league. And he's tied with Crosby at 38 total pressures. We talk about how important pressures are, not just sacks. He's doing well in both. But 
literally, I think the best edge rusher in the league right now is Max Crosby and Aiden Hutchinson, although he has a few more swings, it has the same number of pressures. They both lead the league with 38 total. The Bucks rush game has been pretty anemic. I don't see that getting healthy against Detroit. Detroit's been pretty good against the runs. means the Lions are going to try and shut down Chris Godwin and make Baker throw it a lot. Now, Canales has put him in pretty good spots to do that, but I think if you're making Baker chuck it up 40, 45 times, you like your chances as the Lions. You know, as you said, Detroit uh, only allowed about two yards per carry um, against 12 personnel looks, which Tampa's had some success with this year. Um, so that's off the table. <laughs> if, we, if we can't put, put big bodies on the field and run against their big bodies, we don't like that. And so what does that leave you? Okay, well, let's... Let's roll out 11 personnel sans Mike Evans and try to run the ball from that because they allow about four and a half yards per carry against 11 personnel. Again, not like amazing, but better yeah, than two, good luck with that. you know, <laughs> yep. like if we, if we feel better about running against nickel than running against base, I guess we got to run against nickel. Here's the thing. Um, you can only do it from certain receiver distributions. If if you're calling a like a balance formation, two receivers on each side, two by two, uh, they are eighth in terms of yards per carry from 11 personnel against two by two looks. Why? Because they call out a cover three. Again, getting extra body in the box. Um, and cover three is a coverage structurally that is very good against balanced formations, right? Because the rules are the same on each side, generally. The rules are the same on each side. So we feel good about calling it against two by two. Um, and and again, cover three is like the run stopping coverage, if you're going to call that. However, in the trips world, where it's three by one, and everybody plays three by one a little bit differently. Some teams play half, quarter, quarter. Some play quarter, quarter, half. Some still stick in cover three, but different variations of it, depending on if they have linebackers that can run. Um you know, some play just straight up quarters and all the variations of quarters. Uh, some just play cover one against trips. Everybody, play, everybody plays trips differently. It just depends on what you have. The Lions run defense falls off a cliff against 11 personnel trips looks specifically. It's like the only thing that you can run on them from. Uh, they allow 5.2 yards per carry. Um and it's, it's generally because they play more quarters or play cover one. Uh, again, quarters, too high safety structure, and the safeties are like 10, 12 yards off the deck. So if they're even a little bit late to fill, you can get some success against it. Um, and then cover one, the DBs are not involved in the fit at all. Like we mentioned, like you can just run off the corners by doing just outside release go routes because they're going to have their backs turned. And then... The safety, like, yeah, there's a safety down, quote-unquote, in the box, but he has a man coverage responsibility, so he's not in the run fit. Um, and the other safety is deep. So, like, if you're going to run against anything, you want to run against cover one because the DBs are not involved. So, against trips, where the Lions call those two coverages specifically, their run defense falls off a cliff. If Tampa is going to run the ball in this game, which, A, they haven't run the ball very well, and B, the Lions are overall a good run defense. That is the only scenario they can run it in. Is if they come out, spreading you out, trips to the field, and then find the bubble and attack that bubble in whatever way we have to. You know, whether we're 
flipping the running back around and going four strong and running zone the other way. If we're calling inside zone all day, if we're calling, you know, shotgun power, like whatever the fuck we got to do, but <laughs> spread them out, get them into all their, their coverages that they like against trips and then just attack those specific run fits that you know you're going to get. And if you can get like 70 yards on the ground, A, that's good by Tampa standards, and B, it provides just enough balance um, where they have to be in those specific coverages, right? And once we can dictate the coverage you're in through the run game, from these specific personnel groupings and these specific formations, if we can force you into something that you're not good with, now we can throw the ball. It's not about sucking up linebackers with play action fakes. It's not about, um, you know, any of the typical talking points you see of like why it's important to maintain balance. It's about forcing them into a specific coverage at the exact wrong moment that you have a exact correct call against so that you can generate an explosive play. We, saw, we, we see it every single week with the 49ers. Like, they're better at it than everybody else. Canales is going to have to do that in this game. And I truly think the only chance they have is by doing the one thing that I'm, I'm not sure they're totally comfortable with, and that's rolling out there in 11 personnel, spreading it out, and then running the ball with Rashad White. I know it sounds insane, it might be their only shot. It's their only shot to make Detroit move. Mm-hmm. And they do need to try and make Detroit move. That's the whole point. Again, 70 yards doesn't sound like it's going to blow anybody's doors off, but it would be, like you said, good by Tampa standards. And it would prove, hey, we can have some success here. So you need to maintain at least a modicum of respect for the run game. Because other than that, you're going to sell out against our favorite pass concepts. And Baker's going to be forced into doing things, at least in the past, that he's not been good at keeping the lid on. When he has to try and take the team on his back and just whip it up 40 times a game, that generally favored the defense. Uh, I will say I am a massive hypocrite, though, because even though I laid out what I think should happen, I don't necessarily think it will happen. So I still took the lower on Rashad White at 52 and a half rushing. So like betting against yourself. I'm playing both sides, EJ. It's I the only way to be this. correct. <laughs> you know, I if they if they do it, then I look like a genius. If they don't do it, I still look like a genius because I went lower. I can't and lose I here. Money. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'm okay with being a hypocrite. I'm in sports you, media. That's what we're supposed to do. <laughs> you can't lose on this particular one, and I I gotta respect the hustle. It should be a fun game, though. I am I am genuinely looking forward to it. Uh, which you know what. Looking at this game in June, I didn't think I was going to look forward to it, but I am looking forward to it. Um, Now, speaking of those beleaguered Dallas Cowboys, last game on the docket, Cowboys-Chargers. I have not all the way hit the panic button on Dallas yet, but my finger's kind of hovering over it right now. If they get embarrassed against the Chargers... be the third time they got embarrassed in six weeks, right? Um, at that point, I'm starting to to look elsewhere for my my future head coaching options. Like they can't lose this game. Now, I do think that the Chargers will win it. Full disclosure, but Dallas 
really cannot afford to lose this game, especially with Kellen on the other side, who's been coordinating a very good offense uh, for the Chargers so far. Optically, they cannot lose this game, EJ. It is a prove-it game for both sides. And yes, it is the Kellen revenge game, no matter how else you want to frame it. I think he would be the last person to use that as his frame for this particular game. It's certainly in his mind. It's certainly on his team's mind. I think the Cowboys cannot get embarrassed in this one. If they lose it and it's close and, you know, I get it. If they get blown off the field, I'm with you that it is going to be semi-seismic. We're, we're going to see the cracks start to form in the foundation pretty quickly if they get embarrassed. Now, I'm with you. I think the Chargers have a decent chance to win this one. I don't think it'll be embarrassingly so, but if it is, if Kellen dials up that game and Justin's hitting everything on all cylinders and they wipe the floor with the Cowboys, it's, it's going to be bad times in Dallas. So reasons that I have optimism for the Chargers. Eckler's going to be back for this one. Huge for the Chargers run game. He's so much more explosive than Josh Kelly. I like Josh Kelly. He's a good solid player. But, you know, Eckler's 7.3 per attempt. Kelly's 3.6. Like, (laughs) that is a massive difference in one player. Really interesting matchup here because we know the Cowboys handle inside zone and duo fine for the most part. Two of the Chargers staples. So, again, it's back to Kellen. He knows that. as well as anybody. So what's he going to do? Like, I kind of wonder like what he would do in practice just to rib them. Well, and I wonder if he's not going to pull some of those out. What, what's interesting is they're coming off a buy. So they've had a lot of time to prepare here and run some stuff that maybe we haven't seen them run. Like they, they literally have not called any counter runs from 11 personnel yet. And 11 personnel is their main grouping. Cause of course it is, but they haven't called counter one time, and that's one of the runs that has given Dallas fits this year. I get a feeling that we're about to see a lot of it in this game because, A, they've had a lot of time to prepare for, for this Dan Quinn defense, and, B, talk about a time for a tendency breaker. You know, like, this this is it. Yeah, if they lean on that, uh, we'll know that Kellen is him. We kind of think he is anyways in terms of just what he did with the Cowboys offense what they've not been able to do in his absence, and what he's done with the Chargers offense since he arrived. So Cowboys are going to try and have to put the clamps on Keenan in the passing game. Good luck with that. Uh, He's been a great receiver so far this year against man coverage. He's had the sixth most receptions against single coverage in weeks one through four. If they do double him, which they may have to with the injuries in their very own secondary, Herbert's going to spread it around. He has shown multiple times and throughout his career, even at Oregon, that he would hit a lot of different receivers. He is not a lock on one guy, and my success is dependent on that. He will hit the open guy. He will hit what the defense gives him. He's more than capable of doing that, and if the Cowboys sort of over-index on Keenan, it's sort of damned if you do and damned if you don't. If they over-index on him, he's going to hit the guys that that leaves open. If they don't, if they try and single him, he's still going to throw it to him because he's been so good. So it's not... It's not a great outlook for the Cowboys defense in that particular matchup. Um, This is a tough matchup for Micah if we're flipping over to the Cowboys defense. Chargers offensive line, third lowest pressure rate allowed at 19.8%. And the Chargers tackles in particular. Now, this is a, a, speaking of tendency breakers, this is something you've got to look at with fresh eyes. They've allowed a pressure rate of only 9%, third best in the league. I'm going to say that again. Chargers tackles allowing the third best or lowest 
Raider pressure in the league. That's I want, I want to give a slow clap to Duke Mannyweather, by I, the way, for fixing Trey Pipkins because <laughs> he's legitimately good now. <laughs> like it's awesome. He's and, great. You know, Again, if you don't watch Chargers football and you're hearing those words and you're thinking I'm lying to you, it is actually true. Mike is going to have a tough matchup. Doesn't mean Mike is not going to be able to produce. Again, great players produce no matter what the matchup is. But it's not going to be a cakewalk for him. It's not going to be an easy roller of type game um, that you might think if you, you know, checked in on the Chargers last year and went, ah, the tackles still suck. Um, not the case this year. Hell, I mean, even when they lost Rashawn last year, um, Jamari filled in at left tackle and, and which out of nowhere by the way like wasn't ready to play that spot at all and looked and looked totally fine so uh yeah chargers offensive line after many years of not being great is all of a sudden playing super Odd, well oddly <laughs> like, good yeah it's and i'm it's like where am i right now what year is it it's awesome i love it um flipping over to cowboys offense against chargers defense uh, this is a very large source of my anxiety on behalf of <laughs> Cowboys fans for this yeah. game and why I think um, why I think this one really could set some things in motion for Mike McCarthy that that uh, that Cowboys fans are not ready for. I'm trying to be diplomatic about how I say this, but like, I'm sorry. He ran Kellen out of the building and Kellen's coordinating a top five red zone offense right now. Um, and the chargers are, are legitimately having one of their best offensive years in franchise history so far. Meanwhile, Cowboys red zone offense under Mike McCarthy is terrible. They're 28th in the league, just under 37%. They were over 70 last year with Kellen. Um, the Chargers are a top 10 scoring defense in the red zone in terms of touchdown percentage allowed over the last three games at 46%. So they will let you get to the red zone. Believe me, they will let you get to the red zone. 4.3 red zone <laughs> appearances per game. That is, that's really not good. But once you're there and the space is constricted, they're a good red zone defense. So that doesn't bode well for Dallas, I would say. Um, to me, the big matchup here is Cowboys tackles against Thule and Khalil Mack, who's coming off a career day. They have allowed 16% pressure rate, specifically at the offensive tackle spot. That is the 10th highest pressure percentage allowed among offensive tackle duos. The guards are very good, naturally. Um, you know, you got Martin and, and Smith there, 5.7%, second lowest pressure percentage allowed uh, in terms of guard duos in the NFL. So if there was a weakness on the offensive line, it's around the edges. If there is a strength for the Chargers pass rush, it is at the edge spots. So again, more things that don't really add up in favor of, of Dallas for this game. And I, I just, I cannot emphasize this enough. If the Mike McCarthy offense, which he has gone out of his way, by the way, to make this his offense, so the blame does rest with him. If it continues looking the way it has looked and they lose this game, he's done. Like, I don't know when they're going to fire him, but they will fire him. Like, three Jerry, years from now. <laughs> Jerry will not be embarrassed like this. Okay. They had Kellen in the building. Jerry will not be embarrassed like this. You can't lose to the Cardinals 
and then get blown out by the 49ers and then have your offense be directly compared to your old OC's offense in prime time and look worse and not get fired. Like, they have to win this game, EJ. I cannot emphasize this enough. I'm getting that sense. <laughs> I'm getting the sense that you feel like McCarthy's job hangs in the balance. I think it does. Been, <laughs> it does. I, I think it should. I'm with you, but I don't necessarily think it will because the Cowboys have been slow to react to reality in several situations mirroring this with head coaching previously, which their fans will tell you, look, they should have got rid of X after X uh, happened. We'll see. You talked about the Bucks' narrow window to sort of pry the Lions out of the looks they like. I think this one really comes down to the Chargers' ability to stop the run, which was decent in week one. That surprised us. And again in week four, only 70 yards allowed to Miami. Boy, does that look like an aberration as it's sort of when we say week one weirdness, that's what we mean. The Chargers held Miami to 70 yards rushing in well, week one. HN wasn't in, so I just, <laughs> that's I, a big reason. <laughs> I'm just saying. And they, you know, held Las Vegas to 76. Jacobs is good, but the rushing attack for the Raiders hasn't been awesome this year. So that I get. But the Chargers' ability to stop the run in weeks two and three was not great. They gave up 141 to Tennessee, somewhat expected. And then again, for a more surprising and questionable result, 130 to Minnesota. A team <laughs> just doesn't run the ball so you have like one weird aberration on both their good and bad you know rushing defense stats and you kind of go what's real here and the answer is they're inconsistent and if the Cowboys powerful offensive line that you highlighted starts ripping open holes for Pollard the bleeding could be tough to stop and again if you can't turn a team away from whatever they want to do and the Cowboys certainly do want to run the ball that could be an opportunity for success. If they can slow the rushing attack down, the Chargers can do that. Then the emphasis shifts to Dak, who's been very up and down week to week, speaking of sort of roller coaster performances. I think that's what the Chargers would like to do, is shut Pollard and that offensive line down and have one of those good rushing defense weeks. If they don't, that's the place I think the Cowboys could have some success. If they do... I think your disaster scenario is much more likely to play out. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned weird stats and chargers. That's just, that's a Tuesday for them. Like, if you don't love weird <laughs> charger stats, you don't love chargers football. That's right. Chargering <laughs> that's all got. Charger, chargering's a verb, and it, it, it covers so many things. It's not even that. It's just like you look at numbers and you're like, that doesn't make sense. How did they, how, oh, it's chargers. Yeah, of course. It doesn't oh, have yeah. to make sense. The right. whole the organization has never made sense. <laughs> they thrive off of not making sense, EJ. Pure chaos. Uh, all right, let's get to the parting glass. Final segment here. Uh, you know, quick parting thought, if we have one, two minutes or less. For me, I, I want to emphasize for <laughs> all of the non-Giants fans either listening to this show or, in EJ's case, participating in this show. <laughs> when you complain about bad offensive lines, ah, the Bears can't pass protect. Ah, the Patriots can't pass protect. Ah, insert team can't protect the quarterback. Mm -hmm. Shut up, okay? You cannot compare yourself to the New York football giants. It is not in the same stratosphere 
of how bad they are. I don't care what team you're talking about. Even Carolina doesn't come close. And they're like number two in terms of pressures allowed. The Giants have given up 114 pressures in the first five weeks of the season. Okay, they they allowed the most pressures last year at 315. They're on pace to beat that by over 70. So no, if you're the fan of a team with a bad offensive line, you don't get to say you have the worst offensive line because you don't. You're not even close. It's the Giants, baby. They're the worst. Daniel Jones legitimately might not survive the season. That man is going to end up in the ER by, like, Thanksgiving, okay? It's horrific. They're almost 70% of the way to matching the Eagles' season total from last year, and we're five games into the season. So this is my PSA to every non-Giants fan. (laughs) You can complain. You can't say you're the worst. You're not the worst. Nobody else is close. Just ask Daniel Jones' physical therapist, who has got to be making their money this year and every week. Like, what did you bring me, Daniel? Oh my God, what happened? Oh wait, I know what happened. Okay, cool. Let's. Why are let's you go in the work. shape of a two? Like, what's yeah. going on here? <laughs> oh man, my my parting glass shot is we talk a lot on this podcast about teams that struggle in the red zone. Uh, And a lot of that comes back to QB play. It comes back to decisions, making the right ones, and making them fast. So when the opposite's true, especially where you might not expect it, we should shine a light on it. Justin Fields has made some good, smart decisions in the red zone this year. This is from PFF Bears. In the red zone this year, he is 15 for 23, eight touchdowns, no interceptions, four big-time throws, zero turnover-worthy plays, which is my favorite number in this whole list, and an 88.5 passing grade, first in the NFL in the red zone. So when it counts, we talk about high leverage downs a lot. Usually we're talking about third down, and then we talk about performance in the red zone. Justin Fields has been really good. He's been smart with the ball, and especially over the last couple of weeks. But this is his numbers for the entire season, not just the last couple of weeks in which he's played much better. He's been really good in the red zone. It's one of the, I don't want to say, not saving grace. What's the proper term? Uh, um, signs of hope? Hidden, hidden gems? Hidden gems? You know, it's it's just something to hang your hat on and be like, hey, there's something there. You know, we don't know what it is. And if they end up with the first overall pick, they're still going to take Caleb, but there's something there. You know? Yeah. I don't know. All is not lost with with Justin Fields. Like, I, I do think there is a shot for him to develop into something something very good in the NFL. But again, if they get the first overall pick from Carolina, thank you for your service, Justin. Enjoy your new home. <laughs> well, they'll get something for him uh, if that's the case. We're not going to devolve into that. That's what I do on Bears Over Beers every week. <laughs> have you guys already started your, your oh, draft yeah, 100%. talk? Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, it, and, you know, it's a question-driven show this year, and, and that is the primary question. Like, what could Justin do to forestall that like there's nothing played, there's nothing what if he, he can played do. okay like what if this happens what if that like yeah it's probably 60 percent of that right now and specifically focused on caleb williams the possibility of the number one overall pick which is not locked up carolina could still go on a little bit of a run and win you know three or four games throughout the year and and get the second overall and in that case it's it's more of a moot point you'd have to be trading up to do it so yeah, but we answer a lot of those questions on Bears or Bears every week. All right. 
wrapping up our week six NFL preview. Uh, long show today. Might be the longest one that we've had in, in a, quite in a, good a while. while. Quite yeah. a while. So hopefully uh, you guys got something out of this at some point along the way. Uh, once again, recapping our entire underdog slip, we got Gus Edwards higher than 41 and a half rushing, Joe Burrow lower than 270 and a half passing, Trevor Lawrence higher than 251 and a half passing, Rashad White lower than 52 and a half rushing, and Austin Eckler higher than 50 and a half rushing. Um, Decently conservative slip for this week. So, again, I, if you guys want to tail that, link down in the description below. Promo code BOOTLEG, match deposit up to 500 bucks. EJ, your thoughts? I don't have any of my typical bad tickles about that slip. Usually there's one line, we call it the Khalil Shakir line, on this <laughs> podcast, where I'm like, I don't know about that. That seems, you know, I wouldn't do that. This one, I'm like, I actually agree with all five. Which, of course, means all five are going to be wrong. Oh, yeah. So. We're going over five. 100%. <laughs> uh, all right. We'll be back on Monday recapping uh, everything that we do get wrong, because I guarantee you we will get a lot wrong about this week. Um, but we'll be able to talk about it with all with all of you on Monday. And then next Thursday, we're back for a TNF stream. So uh, with that, we will see you guys very soon. And until then, 